Where is InsureTech headed next? This is where indie agents own the answer. Welcome to the Vertifor Insurance Podcast. Let's go. Welcome back to another episode of the Vertifor Insurance Podcast. This week, I have the one and only Garrett Drogi on with us today. He is the Director of Innovation for IMA, and guys, he is going to blow your minds when it comes to how insurance and blockchain and some other technology like AI and machine learning are working together to carve a new future for the insurance industry. Garrett, welcome. I am so excited to have you on today. Thank you, Sid. No pressure. I, I've got to blow people's minds with this. So, um, yeah, way, way to set expectations right from I, the jump. You know, I like, to, I like to set the bar high. What can I say? <laughs> um, take me back a little bit. Take me back to Garrett pre-insurance. How did you, because, you know, most people don't wake up saying I want to be in insure tech. Uh, yes, I fall into that category as well. Okay. Um, okay. Very weird background. I, I actually started off in the entertainment industry. Oh, wow. And, right. So that's unexpected in transition into insurance. Yeah. Um, but if you know anything about in the entertainment industry, you, you tend to not work a lot. Um, so I had a lot of downtime. In my case, I didn't work a whole lot. So I, I in the process, I started a tech company. Um, I taught myself how to code in college. So kind of made sense for me just doing some freelance software development, web development type stuff. Um, I was pretty good at that. So I, that's, that's how I got into technology. Um, we made a, a pivot one day and decided entertainment industry, not for us, mm. need to need to move. Uh, we were in Los Angeles, wanted to move back East Coast. Mm. So we did randomly. I landed at an insurance agency. Uh, I thought, yeah, I'll do this for like a week and then I'm going to figure something else out. And then my brain just like loved it because mm. insurance like software is basically problem solving. You know, I mean, you're just looking for how do I build something that solves a certain challenge, mm -hmm. right? Um, it doesn't matter the insurance product. That's that's what they're all doing. So my brain naturally does that. So I, I loved it. Um, that was 20 years ago at this point. So I've I've been here longer than I've done anything else. But that's that's my way into insurance was entertainment by way of tech into insurance. I have to say you're proving all the stories true that say that once you get into insurance, you don't really get out. It's true. It's true. <laughs> it's but I, so listen, I have a theater degree and interesting. I still say I use my degree more than anybody I know, including the people with insurance and risk management degrees, because so much of what I do is performative speaking. Um, and it doesn't have to be on a stage or on a podcast. It could just be to an underwriter or, I mean, it's all about communication, effective communication. Um, mm -hmm. You know, sometimes getting people to, to go um, a little bit further than they would naturally. And that's, you know, the art of persuasion and, and being able to connect with people. I, that, that's what you learn in, in, in theater school. So, yeah, it serves me well. Um, I don't know it about anybody else, but it, it works for me. Well, it's crazy that you're able to be in both sides of your brain, 
because uh, you know I assume with the tech side and learning how to code, that's very analytical, very logical, very mathematical in many ways. Theater's a little more creative, and not to say that it's not analytical. I mean, you you do have to be it, to, yeah, to understand. It shouldn't be story yeah. story arc, yeah. But but there's a there is a creative passion. You have to be in touch with your emotion, right, to to have that, and so people tend to stay on one side of their brain or the other and they don't really straddle the line and you seem to be straddling the line, which is kind of cool. Well, you know, I'm terrible at math and I'm a terrible Mm. coder uh, because it took me so long. I'm very visual. I knew exactly what I wanted things to look like, but then when it comes down to like, how do you do that? It was a lot of trial and error and figuring out what are the shortcuts to get me to the end result that I want. So I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm more creative than I am analytical. Um, but yeah, it, it, again, just weird skill sets that I've picked up through the years and, and somehow it's positioned me incredibly well for what I do now. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, the insurance industry needs more creative people. So well, welcome Agreed. and thank you for staying for the last 20 years. <laughs> We're not letting yeah. you go now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know where I'd go. Though. No one will, no one will take me, Sid. So, okay. You went from, ins- you went from an entertainment to insurance agency, um, but then ended up at IMA and doing a lot of really unique, innovative work. How did you find that opportunity? And what pulled you into this more like experimental space with InsureTech, I would say? So it, it sort of found me mm-hmm. um, when I got into insurance, I quickly realized, so I was a, I was a producer sales role. Um, and I realized no one wanted to talk to me about insurance. Um, I was going after like general contractors and, you know, nonprofits and just the, the general stuff. And everyone's like, no, kid, we don't, you're not, you're not for us. And then I started calling on tech companies and I was like, oh, I get what you guys are doing. And I could explain that to an underwriter in ways that their, you know, 58 year old broker couldn't do. So I, that's where I built my niche. I I found a lot of success on the tech side, working with tech companies, startups um, that were sometimes foolish enough to let me stay on as their broker for much longer than I probably should have. Um, so uh, along the way, I joined this network called TechAssure, which is a, a retail broker network, brokers that specialize in tech insurance. And those were my people. Mm. And um, it was all these really great, uh, innovative brokers that were working with you know, the Facebooks and the Twitters and you know, really large complex tech risks. And I was in heaven. And um, the organization, there, there's a lot of moving pieces and it's a long story, but I em- eventually ended up running TechAssure. Uh, so I left the firm where I was, took over TechAssure. And again, I thought, I'm gonna do that for a couple of years and then I'm gonna build my own thing. Cause I know what I want and I know how to do it and I can do it better than everybody else. And, you know, eight years later, I was still at TechAssure because uh, I was having fun and, and, you know, I was good for that role and it was good for me. Um, one of our members was IMA. IMA is a founding member of TechAssure. Um, the organization has been around for about 20 years. So um, I'd known a lot of these these people and, you know, there's a lot of acquisition in our industry. Um, a lot of our members were being acquired. 
IMA actually ended up acquiring two other TechAssure members. And along the way, I was like, you know what? I mean, if we're assembling the Avengers in one place, I'd kind of like to sign up for that. I don't know which superhero I am, but um, I'd, I'd like to hang out with them. Maybe I'm Ant-Man and all the real Avengers are, you know, um, but I can sit and watch. Um, and then, you know, this, this role just kind of opened up for, uh, I think they were in need of someone to assist with all the tech that IMA is implementing. So IMA is a founding member of Broker Tech Ventures, which is a InsureTech accelerator platform. Um, that alone is a huge workload, right? You've got to, you got to vet 100, 200 tech companies a year um, to figure out who's going to make it into the accelerator. Um, consult with these companies, mentor, partner, pilot. Like that's a big chunk of of my Q1 every year. Um, so there there was that, and then also, you know, how do you how do you implement on top of the tech stack that you have? And when you're in a company like IMA, you know, it's 2,000 employees. It's somewhere around six, seven hundred million in revenue at this point. So it's a big, you know very large employee-owned retail insurance broker. Um, we have hundreds of tech platforms. And again, because I see things through both lenses, I've got, I've got the tech side that knows what plays nice in the sandbox. Um, but then I also have the insurance side to know, you know, which of these platforms are actually gonna work in our ecosystem versus, oh, it's a cool idea. And technology-wise, it, it works but it's never going to work in our industry because X, Y, and Z. And you know this, your background, you know, um, it's a very hard ecosystem to, to interface with. Mm -hmm. And a lot of tech companies early on, mm. um, just like a lot of insurance companies don't understand how, you know, to implement technology. It's anyway, that's, that's where I've been pretty mm. successful that I, I kind of sit in both roles. So, um, then along the way, I, you know, back to my creative side, I'm a tinkerer. I like building things um, more than building. I like breaking things and trying to rebuild them bigger and better and stronger. I will disassemble anything and everything to try and figure out how it works. I've just always done that. I don't know, AHD or, or, or what is it? Um, but with blockchain, that's something I've played around with for a very long time. You know, it's not new. You know, it's been around since the 90s, the software or uh, the, um, the the architecture of it. But we haven't seen it at scale yet until now, you know, until the last five years or so. Mm. And I was always curious, like, what could we do with blockchain in the insurance industry? Because it seems tailor made for what we do. And wouldn't it be interesting if we started tinkering and playing around with different use cases and so we, we co-founded this project called Web3 Labs. Our first project, um, which was very fun to pitch to our CEO, was um, can we buy a plot of virtual land in the metaverse and build an R&D facility to test different risk management theories for <laughs> digital assets? <laughs> and um, thankfully, and this is again why I'm at IMA, our CEO was like, I love it. Yeah, go for it. And so we built Web3 Labs, which you can visit in Decentraland. It's, it's um, an R&D facility there that, um, that we do a lot with. Um, you can hold meetings there. You can use it for education. Um, and that was kind of the launch pad for Web3 Labs. 
then we uh, we became the first broker to issue proof of coverage via NFT, was non fungible token. You know, the pictures of cartoon apes that you see out there that are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. You can also use them for virtually anything, any any yeah. asset. Um, so we thought, wouldn't it be cool if we put? Um, and initially, I said we could do certificates of insurance. Like that's a perfect use case for blockchain, and we could use NFTs as the mechanism. Um, our legal team didn't love that we called them proof of insurance because of you know <laughs> accord standards and whatnot. Um, so, and proof of coverage actually fits better, right? It's more it's more Web three sounding, um, but that's what we did. We have a lot of clients in the Web three space, um, so we issued proof of coverage via NFT for one of our clients. Um, and these are all things that we're not necessarily trying to say like we figured this all out and we're the best at this. It's really just here's a use case. Let's try it. Let's learn from it and share it with everyone. So we do press releases and we, we basically give you the whole roadmap of what we're doing, how we're doing it. And I'd love to see other people try to experiment with the same technology because I, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity and by no means are we going to be the only ones that that can play with it. Okay, so I there's so much to unpack here. Oh, thank sorry. you. Thank you for teeing. <laughs> no. No, thank you for teeing me up here. Let me start with blockchain. There's a lot of people who hear the B word and have an idea of what it is but don't fully understand or feel like they could wrap their hands around it. They couldn't re-explain it to somebody. And I feel like if you can't re-explain it, you probably don't have a good grasp on it. So yep. For those out there who are, you know, just learning what this is, what could you explain how blockchain works? Yeah. And so this is not my analogy, but I use it and I think it works. Um, so think of a, an Excel spreadsheet, right? And imagine that this Excel spreadsheet exists on every computer in the world. So we all have a copy of this thing and anybody can add to it. Um, you can't edit it and you can't delete it. Um, you can delete your copy of it, but that doesn't affect my copy or anyone else's copy. And so that, if you can wrap your head around that visual, that's essentially how blockchain works. So it's, it's decentralized. That's a big part of, of Web3, blockchain, metaverse. Um, decentralized just means there's no governing authority, no one place that controls it. So we all have this copy and, and none of us can affect the other people's copies. Um, and it's, it's permanent and immutable. So it just, it can't be altered once it's on the blockchain and it's distributed. So we all have a copy and the other two components are, it's incredibly fast. So, you know, think about financial transactions Typically, you use like SWIFT or, or some kind of mechanism for one bank to send funds to another bank in another country, transfer the funds. Typically takes days or weeks to get that done. Blockchain can inter interface virtually instantly once it's been verified on the blockchain. And it's very secure. So, um, you, you know, I, I do people do think that you know, crypto, easy for hacking, not really the case with blockchain. Uh, again, makes sense. If if everyone has a copy of this thing, um, it's not so easy to alter every single copy of the spreadsheet. So once it's on the blockchain, 
it is it is pretty secure and then each individual record is encrypted on the blockchain so it's um you know it is complicated i could i could get really nerdy and talk about public private hybrid blockchains but at its core just just a spreadsheet that that keeps a record of something could be anything mm-hmm. um does that make sense that that makes sense that makes sense i i'm Man, there's so many questions I want to ask. I'm curious, really, I, I just have to ask this one. When you say it's secure, so I, I think the banking system, would that would be the one pillar that they would probably push back on and say, no, 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 this is why you want to use a banking system because we have the infrastructure. We have the what internal folks might call red tape, what external folks might call security, right? Uh, the balances and the checks and balances. Um, going out on blockchain i think if we yes it's secure in that there is a full transparency of what's going on but can you say that without that regulation without that oversight without that infrastructure it's really secure how how do you feel about that pushback and i i don't agree one way or the other here i'm just you know devil's advocate i'm curious yeah well i mean it's important yeah, there's a there's an Upton Sinclair quote that I like that is, um, it's difficult for a man to understand a thing when his paycheck depends on upon him not understanding it. <laughs> so it's it's essentially like, of course, banks think that that couldn't possibly be as good as their system because that's how they make their money. Mm. So I, and I, I I won't say that an exchange is as safe as going through a traditional banking institution. Absolutely not. Um, it can be, mm. and the the in many cases, um, the technology itself is not insecure. It's typically user error that results in the loss of assets. So, people clicking on links that they shouldn't. It's still a new world that people don't quite know how to interface with. They don't know how to secure digital assets quite like they do traditional. U.S. dollars. Um, so I do think on the surface, there's um, uh, there's some bad actors that are uh, exploiting the system. But if you look at the percentage of lost funds in traditional finance versus decentralized finance, it's it's a thousand to one. There's more lost money in traditional finance than than in DeFi, Web3, blockchain. So um, I think, and again, not necessarily getting into cryptocurrency, um, blockchain itself is very secure. Mm. Cryptocurrency exchanges, you know, there, there's um, there's a lot there that, that could result in people um, agreeing to a bad deal. It's not necessarily right. the technology's fault. Right, right. That makes sense. Okay, so moving into more of that documentation exchange as opposed to currency exchange, um, that's where I've seen the most, or I've heard that there is the most interest with insurance and blockchain. Is that true? So, for example, um, you know, keeping a record of contracts, or uh, you know, I think about e-signature. Uh, I think about um, changes to the contract, right? All of that stored and recorded and sort of happening on blockchain as opposed to through email, through portals, through whatever else it might be. 
I mean, is that maybe is that where you see the the, the uh, chipping away of the dam happening first? And you know, if so, where are we at in that process? Yeah. So I mean, I think supply chain is um, is fully utilizing blockchain today, mm-hmm. and that's where we're going to start matching that up from a, an insurance industry standpoint. Um, but if you think about supply chain, um, you can, you know, minimize emissions because you're, you're, um, you're able to operate more efficiently. You can, uh, identify redundancies, uh, replacements. If you need to swap out one factory for another, um, you can track all goods in transit in real time. So I'll give you an example. Um, think about commercial fishing. Right. And there's there's a new uh, FDA regulation, uh, Food Safety Moder- Modernization Act, and it requires traceability and record keeping. Um, you know, I don't know. I grew up with um, commercial fishermen in my family and they're they were not people that I would say are great with record keeping. It was just like, <laughs> you know, um, great fishing, not so much in, mm-hmm. in the uh, in the paperwork part of it. Well, now these commercial fishing vehicles or vessels will, when they when there's a haul of fish, it will immediately encode it on the blockchain. Mm-hmm. So it's it's live on demand reporting that's far better than any system we've had in the past. And so there, if we need to trace that food supply to say like, all right, well, where did that salmon go uh, that was caught from that boat? on that day, I can tell you down to the individual person that bought it at the grocery store or the restaurants that it was served at, like that kind of transparency is unprecedented. And those, that is utilizing blockchain today. So Mm. where I see us going as an industry, you know, I think um, there's a lot of parametric insurance policies out there right now. So parametric policies, policies that trigger automatically. You don't, you don't need to file a claim. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'll see that a lot in the cyberspace, but there's, um, uh, climate risk policies for farmers. There's a, there's one called ether risk that I love. And it's, it's all around a smart contract that basically says if it rains more than X amount in a 24 hour period, the policy pays out automatically. Wow. That's really not hard to do if mm-hmm. you have a, a trusted weather source that you could rely on to say, did it rain that amount in this period? And then GPS coordinates for where the farm is. Well, we know if if this, then that, pay the claim. So you don't need to file a claim. Mm-hmm. You don't, you know, there's it's not a painful process. It's just automatic payouts. Mm-hmm. So that kind of technology or or product could only exist with blocked. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's a big use case. Smart contracts, I, eventually, I think all, all insurance policies will be, they'll, they'll interface some way with a smart contract because mm-hmm. it's, um, I think it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. There's so much waste in our, inner, in, in our industry. Um, I, I think being able to automate a lot of that process, it's, 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 going to be the way of the future. And you can, you can look at like IBM, mm-hmm. uh, Deloitte, uh, consensus. There's companies out there that have billion dollar consulting arms, helping companies build smart contracts for virtually every use case. Yeah. So those are, 
kind of top of mind right now. Interesting. Yeah, I think about the example from Lemonade. This was, I think, two years ago when they published a video showing how their uh, chat bot paid out a claim from someone who lost their coat at a bar. And there was yeah. no, I, I believe they had to send documentation of the coat itself and then like proof of how much it cost. And then from there, the system was able to put the money in the bank account pretty quickly. Right. So there was no human that actually touched the claim experience. It just all happened through that chat bot. Uh, right. And, through the and the system. chat bot has like fraud algorithms baked into it. So it can tell based on how people are responding, you know, that, you know, you can, you can hate technology and say, well, that gets in the way of what we've built, but it, it certainly makes a better client experience, right? Mm -hmm. That person who got that claim paid on that coat is telling everybody about that story. <laughs> like how great an experience this was. Mm -hmm. And then they, they tell their friend, it was like, oh, I got into a car wreck and it took six months to get my car fixed mm -hmm. because the companies were arguing. You know, to that point, I think we're gonna see, and Tesla can already do this, but cars that file claims automatically. Like mm -hmm. they all have sensors, computers, cameras around them. They can tell what happened in an accident better than a police officer can. And if they were all smart enough to communicate with each other, they'd share the inf insurance information between the other driver, mm -hmm. they'd immediately file the claims. Mm -hmm. Like, what a better process. Like, we've just complicated. And there's, there's complexity for a reason in our industry because it's not, it's not as simple as an Amazon transaction. It shouldn't be. Mm. But there's so much friction. Mm -hmm. There's a reason people hate insurance as much as they do because, you know, they don't want to buy it because they think they're never going to need it. And when they have to use it, it's a terrible experience. Like what other industries, like you have a product that no one wants mm -hmm. and they never want to use. Mm -hmm. Good luck. Mm -hmm. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. So you talked about uh, being able to put the first certificate of insurance. And I guess this is what you were talking about before with proof of proof of coverage, proof of insurance yeah. on the blockchain. Talk to me about that. Like, how did that happen? What was the purpose of it? What was the result? Yeah, so, you know, my I think certificates are low-hanging fruit for mm -hmm. using blockchain in our industry. Because I've always thought, you know, and I've said this before, like, when I first got into the industry, I was like, all right, these certificates, they seem, they seem kind of important, right? Like, that's how you tell other people I have the, the insurance that you need, mm -hmm. right? But as a tech guy, I was like, I could Photoshop that in about five seconds. <laughs> So mm -hmm. what's stopping me from doing that? And yeah. so I don't have to pay $40,000 for an inch, a CGL policy. I, I could just, you know, give you a certificate knowing that I probably won't need it. Right. Mm -hmm. How many people are doing that? Mm -hmm. And the answer is a lot more than you think. Mm. And how many people are buying a policy, getting a certificate and then canceling the policy? Right. Mm -hmm. Like a, a piece of paper is a terrible way to verify that somebody has insurance coverage, which is very necessary to perform, you know, commercial work, right? So blockchain would be perfect for being able to identify, does this person have insurance today at this very moment while they're picking up a hammer and swinging it in my building? Mm. And if I could verify that in real time, blockchain can do that. And so that was the idea. Um, like I said, we have a lot of clients in the Web3 space. And we thought, uh, you know, it'd be kind of cool to issue that as an NFT, right? So we could give them a digital asset. So they do have what looks and feels like a certificate, 
and it represents the coverage that they have that is verified on the blockchain and it has some unlockable content in it as well. So they can they can share information or not share information with third parties depending on what they want. So if if they only need to show certain limits or certain types of coverage, they can do that. So it's it's a pretty flexible tool that you could use to to use as a certificate. Um, ultimately, I I don't think we're ready to do that at scale. Very time consuming to set that up. Um, you have to have a pretty sophisticated insured who has a digital asset wallet who knows how to interact with NFTs. You can't just send someone an email and say, here's an NFT. You have to put it in a digital wallet. Um, there's some weird tax liabilities associated with that that could come into play. The IRS considers uh, NFTs, do they have any value? Uh, huh. If so, then they're potentially taxable. Oh my gosh. Anytime you move them around, it's a taxable event. So there's some like unintended consequences of using that technology. And at the end of the day, it was just, it, it took a long time to pull that off for one certificate, hmm. excuse me, one proof of coverage. <laughs> um, uh, that's my legal disclaimer. Um, and, but, but we did it and then we thought maybe there's companies out there, insure tech companies that could build a model around this. And now there are a few that we're working with that are building digital certificate platforms that that do exactly that verify not just you know manage your certificate holders mm -hmm. but verify they do have the coverage that i need them to have um you know because if you're a large commercial client and you have 500 subcontractors that process is terrible it's, and it's yes. broken yes and there's we don't have a good solution as an industry it's like well call our certificate department and mm -hmm. they'll verify for you. It's just, it, it's, it's inefficient. And at the end of the day, it doesn't produce anything that is trustworthy. And so a digital version of that would. So I, that's why I think um, blockchain is perfect for certificates. Yeah, the, the proof of insurance on the commercial side has always fascinated me as a huge opportunity. Because you have, I mean, I think about my experience on the personal insurance side of things. If I if I get pulled over in my car, right? First thing they're gonna say, hey, do you have proof of insurance? Well, first thing they'll say is, do you know how fast you're going? <laughs> Second thing they'll say is, do you have a you know auto ID card? And I can just go on my app, pull it up right there, and you know show it to them pretty easily. And all of that's transferred. All that information is transferred to my phone as soon as I purchase the policy. I don't have to call anybody. I don't have to, you know make sure wait two days for special language i don't have to it's just on my my phone saying yep you bought it and here it is um i i think the accessibility piece is it, it, we have to solve that first and if along the way we can figure out hey you know we're uh time stamping this on the id card so that we can validate the fact that the time that they're showing it to me, you know, the, the policy is still in force as opposed to they bought it and, you know, or it's, it's real because I know it's, uh, on a platform that, you know, keeps the contract uh, live. Right. Um, yeah. as opposed to a, just a piece of paper that I could have printed off and forged I agreed that the security piece, you know, needs to be addressed, but man, that accessibility is tough. I, I just, yeah. there's gotta be a better way on that side of things for, and the more companies experiment with this, 
the more ideas that they'll have, like better mm -hmm. ideas than I would come up with. So we're part of this this organization called the Risk Stream Collaborative. Um, the institutes who who produce designations like CPCU, ARM, um, they have a, a separate entity called Risk Stream Collaborative that it's focused around blockchains use case in the insurance industry. They've actually built their own insurance blockchain. And it's a private oh. blockchain that um, requires verification to know, like, is this Chubb? Is this AIG? Is this really? Vertifor? Um, and so once you're a known entity on it, you can transact with other known entities. And the use cases are almost endless. And there's one that I love. I, I shared this example a lot because I think it's brilliant. There's a bunch of life insurers that are on this blockchain. And you know they, they thought through what are our clients' pain points in dealing with life insurance. And I'll tell you, if, if you've not had to deal, filing a life insurance claim is about as bad as it gets. Because it just means somebody you cared about is not here. Mm -hmm. And you now have to go and prove that they're not here to a insurance company and quite honestly to someone who probably doesn't have great bedside manner they're not paid well they're you know just a customer service rep who's mm -hmm. like i'll need a death certificate mm -hmm. and they hit you on the wrong day and you're like i don't i don't like your tone mm -hmm. i don't like having to go through this process i feel like you're you know look at what i've gone through and you're making me go through all these hoops so what they came up with was a thing called the mortality monitor which says if someone submits a life insurance claim and it's valid, so we have all the things that we would need, but they filed it with a different life insurance company, we're immediately going to ping our database to see, do we also have that as a policyholder? And if so, claim paid immediately. Because we don't need, as long as the first life insurance carrier will supply us with that data, then they don't have to go through that process multiple times. So it's not it's not perfect, but wow. gosh, it cuts down, you know, I, I don't know how many, I've got, I've got a few life insurance policies, right? It would wow. make my bereaved much, much happier not having to go through that same terrible process over and over and over. So that's just one example of like, we could use this in, in such a much more efficient way that makes people, you know, feel like I got what I paid for, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that's... Um, I don't think we've delivered on that very well over the years. Yeah. That was my, my biggest complaint is it's the client experience in insurance is just about as bad as you could design. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're right on the money there. And what was the name of that company? I'm definitely curious to look them up. The risk stream collaborative risk stream collaborative. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's open to, and I, I don't, I don't get compensated. So like full disclosure, I have, I have no vested interest in this company, okay. <laughs> um, but we're big believers. So there's, there's carriers that are members, there's brokers, uh, there's banking institutions and there's different working groups. So um, we have a big surety division. Our surety department works with them on uh, creating the framework for using surety bonds utilizing blockchain. Um, there's a first notice of loss blockchain working group. Um, there's there's like nine or 10 different working groups within trying to figure out, and again, just tinkering away in the laboratory, how could we use this to build a better, uh, uh, a better client experience, a better infrastructure that we could all utilize? Because, you know, 
again, take it back to agents and brokers, to carriers. We ask for the same data on policyholders, clients, over and over again, right? It's just such a, like, we have that data. Mm-hmm. We could pull that data from third-party sources. We could share that data with trusted third parties that are part of the equation. Like, we don't have to manual data input mm-hmm. at every single level, mm-hmm. client, agent, broker, carrier. It's just too much. Yeah. And blockchain could immediately solve all of that. So. Yeah. That's that's my interest with it. Interesting. Yeah, there's that's I've not thought about that before because you see a lot of companies now pulling third party, you know, data enrichment essentially into their tools yeah. and paying a pretty penny for it. Um, I mean, there are startups that I know that are paying more for you know, data enrichment than f- to build out their core competency, which makes you wonder, like, well, has their core competency actually changed? <laughs> changed? Yeah, yeah. Because they're spending so much money. But it's almost necessary today. It gives them a competitive advantage. Right. Um, e- you know, even at Vertifor, we're so focused on centralization, which is really building the plumbing underneath all these different, uh, you know, SaaS solutions and platforming them so that everything's in one place and everything works better together. Um, right. Hadn't really thought about what if you just moved into this new world and it's 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 pre-built right it's sort of already centralized in a way um, and, and i think that's the point of risk stream is is they don't want vertifor trying to build its own blockchain and then you know insurance carrier building their own and then they don't talk to each other right mm-hmm. it needs to be and that's like all this web3 technology whether it's metaverse or um you know, blockchain, we need to create some infrastructure and some rules of the road like they did with the internet when it was being developed to mm-hmm. say like, look, we can have multiple participants. We're just all going to do things at a high level with the same rules, same roadmap so that, you know, we don't have four internets, mm. right? We don't need <laughs> that many. Let's just all agree. This is how we're going to do it. And then we'll plug in you know, however Gosh. fits our, our objective. It yeah. is going to be so interesting to see how that evolves uh, over the next few years. I, I will have to reach out to Risk Risk Stream Collaborative and see if they'll be interested in chatting. Um, let me talk to you a little bit about the, the metaverse side of things. I will be honest, I know, I, I know a little bit about blockchain. I know even less about the metaverse. So treat me like a rookie here. Um, Maybe just what baseline understanding? What is the metaverse? How does it how does it work? Um, and then you know you guys said that you bought real estate. Who are you paying for the real estate? I guess it in my brain I'm thinking well it should, should kind of be a free for all at this point. Um, so how does that all work? Yeah. So you know I think the the official definition of the metaverse is um, it's a it's an open source 3D world where users and, and potentially an unlimited number of users could have a shared virtual experience in real time. And I think that's probably accurate. That's that's like the you know, Ready Player One, if you've seen that that mm-hmm. movie. Um, mm-hmm. You know, headsets, we're all plugged in. Um, I think that's a decade or more away. Although, you know, first week in June, Apple's gonna drop their uh, mixed reality goggles. And I think that's going to change the game oh, like they do typically. But, um, 
my version of the metaverse is is a little different. Um, not everyone agrees. I already think a lot of ways we're we're in the metaverse already. Things like augmented reality, virtual reality, we can do that today. But things like social media is also it's just an online community. It's a shared experience that we're having. Um, you know, there was an article that came out in Business Insider a couple of weeks ago. It was like move over metaverse. You know, AI is is the new king. Metaverse is dead. It died in in April of twenty three. Um, you could say that, but then you could also point that there's 600 million users on a monthly basis in the metaverse. Wow. You know, maybe not you and me, um, but certainly my kids, I've got, I've got teens and tweens, um, Roblox, mm-hmm. um, Fortnite, mm-hmm. these are metaverses. And my kids would prefer to have a, a hang with their friends virtually than in person. And a lot of people can't wrap their heads around that. And you can, you know, scream at the wind and say it shouldn't be that way. That's how Gen Z wants to do it, mm-hmm. right? They grew up in a world where they don't know a world where we're not connected to the Internet. And so we can all look back and be like, well, I used to go out, you know, and didn't come back until it was dark. And that that's better. OK, but that's not the reality of kids today. They want to have virtual experiences. They want to hang with their friends in games. You know, and look what we do on a daily basis. We're in Zoom meetings and teams all day, every day. I would argue that's also metaverse, right? Mm-hmm. We're not actually in the same room right now, and yet we're having a conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, that's going to get better. The technology that's behind it, you know, nothing against Zoom, but it, it has its um, limitations, right? There's a, a latency lag where you and I can't jump in on each other's conversation like we would if we were sitting, you know, hanging out over a beer and we're we're vibing off of each other's words. It doesn't do that well, right? The the audio lags just a little bit. We we can't look each other directly in the eye. You can you can manufacture it a little bit, um, but there's some new technologies coming out. Google's got one uh, called Project Starline that I would absolutely Google. Um, it's unbelievable what it can do it's basically a magic mirror that will you'll be able to see have you seen the 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 renderings of this i have i didn't realize it was called project starline it's where you yeah. yes so it's it's like a zoom call but if it was three-dimensional right correct yep. yeah you yeah. you get a full sense that that person is sitting across from a pane of glass mm-hmm. um there's another um I'm drawing a blank there, the, you know, I think hologram technology is going to get to a point where you can, you can be in the same physical space with someone. We're going to have a thing called 7d, uh, holograms, right? So it's 3d from multiple angles. Wow. And, uh, there's, there's some, again, we're, we're, we're painting with all these visuals that people can't see. Um, but you can Google there's a, a 7d whale, uh, where it was in a mall in Dubai. And essentially a whale comes out of the floor and splashes back into the floor and it's all done with 70 projectors. And that kind of technology is only going to improve our interactions and we'll use that. So we won't necessarily need a headset. We could just be sitting, having a conversation and you're just going to be beamed into my office Mm -hmm. via my 70 
projector that we're all going to have in 10 years. So, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of technology, I think, is what Metaverse will transition into. Mm -hmm. I don't think it has to be um, all virtual reality all the time. Yeah. But, you know, that's the going definition of what it is. Yeah. Uh, virtual land, there's different platforms that you can buy virtual land on, and it's, it's a finite resource, just like real world land. Um, so that's why you pay someone who operates in one of these worlds. Um, the two big ones are Decentraland and Sandbox. Uh, we're in Decentraland, JP Morgan Chase. Um, a lot of the people, uh, you know, a little bit more corporate there. Um, although like Miller Lite and Heineken, there's bars in Decentraland that you can go hang in. Um, Sandbox, that's where Snoop Dogg is. Mm. Um, and you know, on brand, there's a lot of like cannabis dispensaries in sandbox where you can, you can enter a dispensary and browse the, the store and everything in store is tokenized. So if it shows up in the metaverse, it's also, it, it exists in real life. Um, you can interact with people in the metaverse. They can answer your questions about products. Right. Uh, you, you could purchase and then you you could have a delivery to your house in 30 minutes or less. Like, you know, that kind of client experience is is just wild. And it doesn't have to be, you know, uh, I think crypto and then cannabis, like these are all things that people are like, yeah, see, I you lost me there. Look at Prada, um, Gucci, mm -hmm. high-end fashion brands. Mm -hmm. They're all utilizing NFTs to create digital twins of their products to essentially eliminate fraud, right? Because if I can verify very quickly that the handbag that I just oh, bought was manufactured by Gucci, then it's worth more, right? Yeah. And suddenly the the fake market, you know, the um, uh, counterfeit market is is less attractive because you can no longer fool people the way you used to be able to. Right. Um, you know, Gucci sold a, a virtual handbag for like $5,000 um, in, in, you know, on these platforms that people are buying. Mm -hmm. And you could again say, well, that seems ridiculous. But look at back to Gen Z, they will spend countless sums of money. And I know this from personal experience on virtual wearables, mm. you know, things that they want to wear on their avatar in the metaverse. And people say, well, that's dumb. And I'll say, well, tell me what kind of, what kind of car do you drive? What kind of clothes do you like to wear? Well, oh, I'm a BMW guy. That's really just projecting in the same way that a virtual, you know, a metaverse avatar is projecting who you are to the world, what clothes you buy, what cars you drive, you know, the things that you post on social media, it's no different. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's all street credibility. It's a, it's a social flex to say, I buy this brand mm -hmm. or this brand identifies with me as a person. Mm -hmm. Um, that's all kids are doing too. They, mm -hmm. they want people to go, Oh man, you, you know, you're all about, uh, Travis Scott. And I know that because you got the exclusive Travis Scott backpack and hoodie that was only available at the virtual Travis Scott concert in Fortnite, which 15 million kids went to. Wow. So, Jeez. you know, it's wild stuff. But like, yeah. if I, I think if you get too far behind, it's going to be almost too difficult to catch back up. So right. everyone's rec uh, question is like, where do I even start? 
just little bites. Like, just mm-hmm. don't be one of those people that turns it off and says, that's not a real thing that I need to worry about. That's going to be way too far down the road. It's here. It's, yeah. you know, we're, it, we're already using it right mm-hmm. now. So just pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the 15 million kids that showed up to virtual Travis or virtual Fortnite uh, yeah. are, are going to be adults buying insurance policies at some Correct. point. Correct. They're going to be adults running insurance companies. Yes. Yes. That too. And I, I think, I, I don't know that there's, I mean, I, I definitely see a world where um, this technology is incorporated into the insurance experience itself. So, you know, meetings, um, you know, virtual meetings, even internal usage, right? As opposed to like maybe not client to producer, but with having everybody in the same room. I mean, uh, Heath and I are in Denver today and I live in Minnesota, he lives in Arkansas, but coming to the office is special because we get to hang out together, spend time together. It's different over Zoom. You lose you lose something over Zoom. So I think Agree. the more we can recreate what we lose in those in-person meetings, I think the more powerful that becomes. Um, so I think there is some some opportunity there, but more what I was thinking was if people are purchasing, if they're interacting in store-like environments and they're making purchases as opposed to going to amazon.com, right? They're walking into the grocery store. They're, uh, you know, they're going into the new metaverse Best Buy to get their headphones. Um, ultimately, still having them shipped to their house, right? They're, but they're still going into the metaverse, taking them off the shelf, ringing it through the cash register. I think there's this idea of insurance being a part of that experience that you don't want to miss out on. And if Correct. and the people who can make sure they're there, uh, it, it, that's really to me how you have to think about it. Is less, you know, what if somebody comes out of the virtual Best Buy? Are they going to see row insurance on that block? Right. That's how yep. I'm thinking about some of this. Is you know, it, it's it, it really is almost recreating your insurance agency digitally in a way. A hundred percent and. It think about, you know, when I first got into insurance and I, my only experience thus far had been auto insurance that I bought, that I didn't like, it cost too much money. And, you know, that, that was my experience, like most people. Mm-hmm. And someone explained to me, they're like, look around the world, look around, we're on a city street. And they're like, look around the street. Literally everything you can point to requires insurance right? It's a building that someone cares about. It's a person that someone cares about, a vehicle, you know, the traffic lights, like literally in order to make the world go, insurance is required. So if that's true, and if we believe that the metaverse might be part of the future, it represents an entirely new world to be insured. Mm. So why would you not look at that as an opportunity to say whether or not you know, it's going to be as big as the real world. Um, it's still a new opportunity and new assets to be insured. Those headphones, I could I could create a micro insurance product, match it up with Best Buy. So as soon as they're checking out, do you want to insure this? Right. Sure. Right. You know, right. uh, $5 annual policy. And if anything happens to my headphones, you know, yeah, just new models. Mm-hmm. And... 
we don't do well with that. That's the limitation in the space where, where my challenge to insurers is there's a lot of new products that need to be developed that don't look like traditional insurance products. That's because these are, these assets operate differently and people expect an insurance product that can be turned on or off. Like, well, if, if I have my crypto assets on a cold wallet means it's not touching the internet, um, then I'm not worried about it. I don't need insurance on that. Right. But I am concerned when it goes hot and I need to transact or move funds from one place to another. I need an insurance policy for that moment in time where I'm, I'm transacting those funds. Mm -hmm. That's just not, um, you know, drone insurance is another perfect example. Well, I don't want to insure my drone on a 12 month policy. I don't use it all 12 months of the year, but when I'm flying it, um, in a park once a month, I'd like to insure it, you know, in, in the event that it falls out of the sky and hits somebody, then I, I want to make sure I've got the coverage. So I need policies that can be turned on, off, operate differently than the traditional insurance contracts. Mm. But to your point, I think uh, training is going to be huge. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, if you've not experimented with like an Oculus uh, there, there are workrooms where you can have a virtual meeting and it's kind of shocking the first time you do it, how real it feels. You know, it feels like you're in the room with people mm. and the sound, there's something magical about the sound. You can hear, you know, papers rustling. Mm. Um, it, it, you just get the sense that you're in the room with people. And I think that experience is going to be something that we just build on top of. And you know, a big challenge for us, and I know a lot of people, is work from home. We're we're a you know remote friendly, um, but it's it's a challenge in our industry. How much did you learn by hanging out with people and just listening to conversations, or having an experience in you know one day on a Tuesday that you still talk about, like that kind of uh, experience we're missing in the industry? And if you could have a virtual meeting that wasn't um, gimmicky, it didn't feel like a video game, but felt like a regular part of your week where we're gonna go in for training as a group, we're gonna have a mentor that's gonna work with us, build up our skill sets um, in, a, in a virtual environment that feels real, then I think we can do a whole lot with training, education. I think we're gonna, I think the education sector is gonna be massively transformed uh, with, you know, we're, we're going to teach more towards aptitudes rather than, all right, everybody gets the same playbook and sucks. You're not good at math. You got to do it. And you got to do all these other subjects that you don't like or care about. It's going to be like, no, what are you wired for? Let's, mm -hmm. let's build a path for you for that rather than trying to train everybody to be the exact same. Like who wants that? Right. Um, and then marketing, right? There's, there's a whole new, what's the number one Google AdWord or Facebook AdWord? It's insurance, mm -hmm. right? So it's only a matter of time before the metaverse, you know, that's just a brand new opportunity for putting your brand out there, getting people's eyes on, oh, row insurance. I, I don't know about them. I'll step in and see what they're all about. That mm -hmm. looks fun. Mm -hmm. Their experience looks cool. Mm -hmm. I'll give them a shot. So. Mm. Man, this was a fascinating conversation. I don't know whether to be 
excited or terrified or probably a little bit of both. Um, but thank you, Garrett. Thank you for the work that you've been doing and for, for carving out some time and coming to talk about uh, what you've learned and share your experiences. Really appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks, Sid. Love what you heard? Listen, don't stop here. We know you don't want to. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or YouTube if you love watching and get notified as soon as new episodes come out weekly. Let's go.